All right, as you uh, kind of refocus your thoughts and attention up here on the platform, we appreciate the discussion that's underway, and uh, maybe you could continue that conversation right after the service as that takes place. So we're excited uh, as we've had uh, the sort of leadoff batter, second, and then third hitter, and now we have the cleanup batter. All right, cleanup. The Albert Pujols of, uh, of <laughs> Calvary Church, but no pressure. Uh, I appreciate uh, Laura Copeland as she comes up here, and she is uh, directing and giving leadership to our Grow Ministries here at Calvary Church. And I would say that she hit a home run with this. I will say that. That following Jesus curriculum that is available for you, both student and leader uh, additions of that, uh, that's much of her baby. And so we're thankful for Laura and her skill and knowledge and her background in education and uh, putting a lot of that into print so that we can continue to grow on our faith. So let's welcome Laura as she comes on up here and speaks to us. Thanks, Dave. It's good to be with you all this morning. It's been a fun month to talk about discipleship as a church family. I want to start us off with a question this morning, and I want you to really think about how you would answer this question. Have you found following Jesus to be worth it? Do you believe that as God is the creator, the designer of all that exists of humanity, that when he says this is how life is meant to be lived, that that really is the best way to live. Do you believe that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we've been reconciled to our creator, and as we live life with Christ, you finally can find and live the life that you were intended for? Do you believe, do you really believe that following Jesus is worth it? In my own life, I found that as I treat people how God asked me to treat people, I find that I actually have better and healthier relationships. When I find, when I find myself in moments of conflict with people and I start asking how would God want me to engage in this situation? How is God calling me to be a person of reconciliation? And I try and live out those principles. I find that conflict resolves much better than if I try to do it on my own. As I consider how to use my time and my resources, and I ask, if Jesus were in my shoes, if he had my resources at his disposal, how would he want to use my time? How would he want to use my resources? And as I, as I ask those questions, I find I make better decisions. I have fewer regrets about the things I do with my life when I try and live them how Jesus taught and modeled us. I have found that no matter the cost, no matter the sacrifices I've had to make over the years, that in the long run following Jesus, integrating my faith into every area of my life, it's always been worth it. As we talk about discipleship, we're talking about not just making more believers in Jesus. We're asking the question, how can we come alongside someone and help them follow Jesus, help them live out their faith and integrate it into every area of their life, and then furthermore pass that on as they multiply their faith in other people. This is hard. It's, it's hard enough in our own life to figure out how to follow Jesus and integrate our faith and pass it on. How do we possibly come alongside someone and do this in the life of someone else as we 
disciple them. And so I want to talk this morning about just a few practical things that I think will help you cement this vision of what it means to disciple someone. As in all things, we want to take our example from Jesus. And so we're going to start in John 1:14, and we're going to see that Jesus offers us a balance of grace and truth. And we want to take that notion and, and follow that example. John 1:14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We need a balance of grace and truth in discipleship relationships. Randy Alcorn says, truth without grace breeds self-righteousness and crushing legalism. Grace without truth breeds deception and moral compromise. We need both grace and truth in discipleship relationships. And I also would add that this takes place in the context of a relationship over time with the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we really can see God be at work, changing someone's heart to be a follower who is integrating their faith and multiplying their faith. So how do we first be people of grace? How do we communicate grace to the people that we're discipling? Grace is unmerited favor. We recognize that God extended grace to us, that he loved us unconditionally, even when we didn't deserve it. God committed to be for us, to be on our side, to want what's best for us. And when you disciple someone, you have the opportunity to embody that unconditional love of God in their life. You come alongside someone and you say, I'm for you, I'm with you, I will love you no matter what. Let's walk through life together. One of the best ways you can communicate grace to someone is by being a good listener. When you listen, you demonstrate to someone that you care about them. You want to get to know them. You want to get to know what's going on in their life. You want to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Over time, as you listen well, you earn their trust, and they start opening up to you more and more about not just the surface behaviors, but what's really going on in their heart underneath the surface. Listening well demonstrates you care. It helps people trust you and want to open up to you more. You also can ask good questions. You listen, and as you listen, you're looking for how God is at work in this person's life. And you want to ask them questions to help direct them and help them find for themselves that they can put their trust more firmly in God. There's a list of a lot of questions on page 52 if you want to know what some of those questions might be. But one really simple question I had a mentor always ask me is I would tell her what was going on in my life. She would ask questions, she would try and understand the situation, and then she would just say, Laura, what does it look like to trust God in that situation? And she made me move from talking about my life to now looking for how God does it work in my life, how God, is, how God was inviting me to trust him more deeply. So we listen, we ask good intentional questions, trying to point people to how God is at work in their life, and we pray for people. You pray for your disciple. When you pray for someone, God starts softening your heart towards that person. You can't help but be gracious and loving towards someone if you are committed to praying for them because God will be giving you his heart for that person as you pray for them. Something I try and remember to pray every time I go into a meeting with someone that I'm discipling or even just any context of when I'm going into a conversation with someone, I try and pray, God, what does it look like to love this person? I just take a minute before I go into a meeting and I say, God, would you, would you help show me how you want me to love this person? How can I extend your love and your grace to this person 
that I'm meeting with. And start praying that prayer as you go into meetings before you meet with people and see how that changes your relationship. See how you are better able and in a position to see how you can best love that person in your life. So we start by extending grace, by committing to love that person unconditionally, by being for them and wanting what's best for them. But then we also speak truth into their life. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God sanctifies. It changes our hearts. In John 8, 31, Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. God's word has the power to transform lives. We don't just listen to people talk about their problems and then leave them out there. But we ask questions like, what does God's word have to say? How can I guide you into knowing what God says about the situation that you find yourself in? The number one obstacle I find from people about why they don't want to disciple is they feel like they don't know enough. And maybe you're sitting there now and you're thinking, yes, I know I should disciple. I know that's something I'm called to do, but I just don't feel like I know enough. I just want to tell you that you don't need to know everything to be able to disciple someone. You don't need to have all the answers. Jesus appointed the blue-collar workers of his day to be the men that he entrusted his ministry to. Jesus didn't turn to the religious scholars, the people who knew the most information. He didn't entrust the future of his ministry to the people with the most knowledge. He entrusted them to the people who knew him. You're not qualified to disciple because you know the most answers. You're qualified to disciple because you know and have a relationship with Jesus. The smartest person in the room is not necessarily the most qualified to disciple. The person who is walking with Jesus, whose heart is committed to saying, I might not know everything, but what I do know I'm trying to put into practice. That's the person, I think, who is most qualified to disciple and teach other people how to follow Jesus. Even if you don't know everything, though, you don't have to know everything, but you do have to be willing to look for the right answer, and you do have to be willing to to try and figure out what the right answer is. And so I want to just give you a few thoughts about how, if you feel like you don't know everything, what you can do in a situation when you realize, "I I don't know the answer. There's been... So many times as I've sat with people and they've asked me a question and it's just like blank white space in my head. There's just nothing intelligent to say. Um, and, and I just think, I just have this moment where I freeze and then I just say, you know what? That's a really great question. Why don't we open God's word together and see what we can find? Or if they're talking about a situation in their life and I think, gosh, God probably has something to say about that situation, but I don't know it off the top of my head. I'll just say, you know what, why don't we open God's word together and let's see if we can find what God's word has to say about this situation. You don't have to know exactly where to go, but you have to be willing to look for the right answer with that person. And just a couple of things you can do. Hopefully you're familiar with your Bible and you know the study tools maybe that your Bible has. Some of you have study Bibles that have notes on the bottom and those will be a great resource for you. You might have an index or a concordance in the back of your Bible and you think, well, I, I don't know, but let's look up the word anxiety in the back of my Bible and see what verses it points us to. Or if you use an app on your phone, it probably has a search feature in the Bible app 
on your phone where you can search for keywords to help you get into God's word and start opening up this book together and let the truth from God's word speak into the situations in your life. I also have not been above using Google to help me figure out things like this. This is okay. I so many times, maybe more than I care to admit, have thought, what does the Bible say about anxiety? I can think of one verse off the top of my head, Google, verses about anxiety. It'll give me a list of verses, and I take that list, and then I use that to help me know where to start in God's Word. You can also ask Siri. I tried this last night. I said, Siri, what does the Bible say about God's love? And she gave me a list of verses I could look up. So you have these tools in your pocket already. You don't need to worry that you don't know enough. We have so many incredible resources to put in your hands to say, I don't know the answer, but I'm willing to find it with you. Let's get into the truth of God's word and see what he has to say about this situation. And when you read a passage of scripture, let me give you three questions to ask to know how to best study scripture. Any passage, ask these three questions and let that help guide your study and your discussion. First, you ask, what does this passage say? What are the main points? What seems to be communicated in this passage that I'm reading? What does it say? What does it mean? What's the message the author is trying to communicate? Why did the author write these words? Why did God inspire the authors to communicate this to their audience? What is the point? What is the message being communicated? And then if you have a handle on that, you say, how does this apply to my life? Now let's take what I learned. I've studied it. How does this apply to my life? What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to my life? And you're getting the truth of God's word, of God's word integrated into your conversations. So we're people of grace. We're people of truth. And then this takes place in the context of a relationship over time. Couple just components. First, we see Jesus' example in Mark 3.14, he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. Jesus just walked through life with his disciples. Their transformation happened as they walked through life with Jesus. He spent time with them. So how much time is needed for growth? Just a couple practical ideas here. The first is that there should be some consistency in these discipling relationships. Whether it's once a week or it's once a month, there should be some measure of consistency of how often You're getting together based on how busy your schedules are. And you meet for an hour, maybe two hours every time you meet. Probably not more than two hours. So have a consistent time and have some sense of how long you'll meet for an hour to two hours. And next you want to have a sense of what are we committing to? Maybe you start by going through a book together. You want to go through the following Jesus curriculum. Or there's another book you decide to go through together. So you commit to meeting together as long as it takes to go through that book together, and then you can reevaluate at the end of that time. Or maybe you've met a couple times, you've gotten coffee, you've gotten lunch, and, and you can tell them at that time it might be appropriate after a couple times of meeting to say, I've really enjoyed this time of getting to know you. I love walking through life with you. I'd love to commit the next six months to walking through life with you, and we can kind of go from there. How does that sound? to you. That might be a good way to just have a clear sense of what you're committing to in that relationship. And then you can always continue after that time period, but you don't have to, the first time you meet someone, commit to for the rest of my life, walking through life with you. It might become that, but you can ease into it as you go. And you also want to have good communication. You want to have clear expectations. I would love it if you would be on time, or if you can't make it, if you would give me this much notice before you cancel. 
I would love to communicate that whatever you say to me is confidential and I want to honor that and I won't be telling that to other people. You can have just clear communication about confidentiality and about what expectations you have of each other. And lastly, be creative with how you spend time together. There's a list of ideas on page 56 so you don't just have to sit across a table every time you meet, but you could go for a walk together. You could find a hobby you have in common and do that and just spend time being intentional, digging into each other's lives. And the last piece of this is that as you spend time with someone, as you're a person of grace, as you speak truth into their life, you recognize that the Holy Spirit himself is the one who changes their hearts. It is not your job to change someone else. You are not there to fix them. You are there to love them. You are there to pray for them. You're there to look for opportunities to guide them in God's truth. But it is the work of God to change and to grow someone. 1 Thessalonians said, May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. There really is no pressure on you to have to change someone. That is the work of God. You just come alongside and you help facilitate in an intentional relationship an opportunity for God to be at work in someone's life. I want to point you to a few resources we have available for you to help with discipleship. It's on page 42 of your Multiply booklet if you want to look there. The first one has been mentioned already. It's this following Jesus curriculum. It looks like this. We have copies available. You can look at them in the lobby and they're available for purchase in the bookstore. There's nine lessons in here designed to be just conversational. You can sit down with someone, ask a couple questions, open up the Bible and talk about it together. So that's a great resource. We want to direct you to to check that out. And there's a sample lesson in the multiply booklet for you as well. There's also a book called Growing in Christ that for decades at Calvary, this is what we've used for discipleship. It's tried and tested over decades, but this is also a great resource to go through with someone, a book called Growing in Christ. We also have an online database called Right Now Media. If you are into technology and you're less of a reader and more of a visual person, we have an online database that we have access to called Right Now Media. You can sign up online and have access to thousands of great video teachings of great teachers and great content that you could watch with someone and then talk about what you're learning. And lastly, we have our bookstore here at Calvary. If you're wondering what else to go through or what else you could learn, if a book is in the bookstore, it means we recommend it as a good resource. So we vetted them for you. And anything that you find in that bookstore, we would say this is a great resource for you. If there's a topic you want to learn about, find a book in the bookstore and read through it with someone. So those are all resources at your disposal. We're wrapping up a month of talking about discipleship at Calvary. And I want to end with this thought. I want you to know that God is calling you to be intentional in the relationships in your life. And we want you to think about what next step you need to take. Maybe you are ready to step into a discipling relationship. Do you know how to listen to someone well? Can you ask a couple questions? Will you commit to praying for them? Will you commit to trying to guide them towards God's truth when they, whenever the opportunity presents itself? If so, you're ready to go. You're ready to disciple someone. And we want to help gently shepherd you in that direction. There's a commitment card that you were handed as you walked in today that we would love for you to fill out. We just want to know where you're at with all of this. And so you can check, yes, I want to help others learn to follow Jesus. And there's a few options you can think about. Yes, I want to be a disciple. I would want someone to invest in me. And then the last one is I will be at the mentoring meetup on October 5th. 
Um, October 5th, next Sunday in the evening at 7 p.m. in the worship center lobby. We just want to facilitate discipleship relations, relationships to happen. And so if you're saying I want to disciple someone, but I don't know who, or you're saying I want to be disciple, but I don't know by who, we just want to get in a room together and see if we can't foster a couple of these discipling relationships to get started. So that's what that mentoring meetup is on October 5th. There also are questions for you to process on page 40. In your multiply book, there's just some questions asking you, where are you at with this? And so we're going to spend a little bit of time for you to journal, process, what is God stirring in your heart in response to discipleship? Spend some time journaling in here, fill out that commitment card, and you'll drop it in the offering when it's passed. Let me pray for you. God, I, I think about what it would look like if the people in this room said yes to you, said yes to whatever it is that you are putting on their hearts. Whether it's yes to, I need to grow in my faith because I want to be able to disciple someone, but I have to figure myself out first. God, I pray that they say yes to that and that you make it clear what steps they should take to grow in their faith themselves. And God, for the people who are maybe feeling a little bit nervous about discipling someone, but you are asking them to say yes, God, I pray that you give them the courage and just clear direction of what the next step should be, God. We want to say yes to you and to what it is that you are inviting us to in our lives. God, thank you that we love because you first loved us, that you are a God worth following. You are a God worth investing our lives into. God, be at work in our hearts and just give us clear direction of what you would have for us to take as our next step. Amen.